0: Welcome to the Habit Mechanic Podcast. To help you finish this year strongly and get ready for a successful 2024, we're re-releasing every podcast we've recorded so far that takes a deep dive into the Habit Mechanic book. The episode's coming up in a few moments. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our Habit Mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn £100,000 per year working part-time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just 13 hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a Certified Habit Mechanic Coach who can transform people's lives and is recognised as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or, if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Enjoy the episode.
1: Hello Habit Mechanics, I hope you've had a fantastic week. My name's Dr. John Finn. Welcome back to the Habit Mechanic podcast. We've got a really exciting episode this week. We're going to talk about Chapter 5 of the Habit Mechanic, take a deep dive into it. and joined today by my friend and colleague, Andrew Whitelam. Andrew, how are you?
0: Yeah, hi John. Great to be with you again. And um, I'm certainly looking forward to this one. Um, as you say, Chapter 5, when I read it uh, in the Habit Mechanic book, it had... Um, a very profound effect on me because there's one word that the chapter centres around, if you like, for me, and that's a word that people might view as a little bit mundane and perhaps think they know everything about it and everything that it means and, and how it affects their life. And that word is learning, but really, uh, there's far more to it than that. And and the chapter we talk, we are talking about, uh, gives people uh, an amazing, as I say, profound view of that word and all the implications and the science behind it um and i think the crux of it is that we can all improve we'll come on to talk about that in just a few moments john or i'd like to ask you more about that but later in the podcast we'll also be talking about um an exciting development in the tech world um and taking people's questions um but um i understand john you've been uh busy uh with uh, in recent days with uh the the coaching certification that you're offering people.
1: Yeah, so we've just released some new spots on the Certified Habit Mechanic Coach program where people learn to become a Certified Habit Mechanic Coach. It's really exciting that the first cohort uh, are a good way through their journey now and you know their results are already getting for themselves and the people they're working with are remarkable. And we've just got such a great, diverse range of people that have signed up everything from what I would call elite business, uh, you know, big global companies. We've got professional sport. We've got military. We've got high-level edu- high education. We've got um, people with their own businesses. We've got people with their own coaching businesses. We've got people that are looking to make transitions into becoming a coach. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really interesting group to work with. Um, and it's certainly the the main thing that I'm doing with my time at the moment I think what's different about this program is that we're showing people how to help others build new habits not just have nice well-intended coaching conversations where people feel a bit better about themselves afterwards we're showing them actually how to help other people to make sustainable, long-lasting changes in their lives by using our habit metric tools, which allow people to analyse their habits and start identifying their destructive habits and understanding what their super habits are. And we show them how to use our range of over 30 award-winning habit mechanic tools, which then show people how to destroy those destructive habits and start building the new super habits and what's also great is that the 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 people that are trained to become certified habit mechanic coaches they get that they get book copies of our book they get access to the to the app for their for their people so they can start to use these habit mechanic tools with them in real time which supercharges the results that they're getting so if that is of interest to people you can check out more details on our website, get in touch. We do have a few places left, but we, I know they won't be here for long, but if you're interested in doing it uh, further into the year, we have a waiting list as well that you, we can put your name onto. So yeah, that's really exciting. And I think the the thing that we've both been working on together as well, Andrew, is the the new habit mechanic keynote that I know has been getting some great traction. And you, you've been on the, cutting edge of um working with with third-party clients on that so what's the response been to the habit mechanic keynote
0: yes that's right john yes i've been um uh, talking to people about the habit mechanic keynote and um um one thing that immediately fascinates them is um the, the 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 promise that we make to them that um we can improve people's happiness and performance by at least 16% in the 90-minute keynote, and that that's something that really is attracting attention, and people w- clearly like to know more about that, um, and it's something that uh, is getting people talking for sure. You've had, obviously, um, a lot of positive feedback already um, uh, about the, the, the keynote from people in the... the finance industry and in the the marketing industry the the organizations you've delivered them to um and i think i think uh a refrain that we hear from from the feedback is that people really love the, the the practicality of of the insights you share and how they're accessible and how they can be implemented but they're of course based on and built with this cutting-edge science and that's something that that gives people um a great deal of confidence but also um they see the, the profound effectiveness of them. Um, and of course, they're able as well to take away. A copy of the Habit Mechanic book and get access to the Habit Mechanic University app as well. So, um, not only uh, does the keynote set out your toolkit um, for improved performance and happiness, but also they have these these uh, tangible tools to take with them as well. And I think, um, again, as well as as well as the the overarching headline of of the sixteen percent improvement in ninety minutes, people are also um, Uh, talking about how they they really like the idea of having more control over their lives and the the pathway, being shown the pathway to make Permanent positive change uh, to improve um, all aspects or many aspects of their, their life and work, including including leadership skills as well. So um, it's um, it's certainly had some good feedback and uh, we look forward to working with people and talking more about the habit mechanic keynote. And again, as you say, John, um, f- full information about that is available on the website. TougherMinds.co.uk. Um, you'll see on the on the main menu, and um, I know people can contact you about uh, the certification for coaches, um, and also the habit mechanic keynotes as well via the website. It is the, Is a one stop shop if you like. So, John, let's uh, let's dive into chapter five then, um, if we can. Uh, as I said at the start, um, one word uh, I suppose is at the core of the chapter: learning, and it's a word people might think they understand. Um, Again, when I read this, I was um, really blown away, I think, by the profound insights that are available and and, uh, that are shared in the chapter. Um, Fundamentally, I suppose, the the headline, we can all do better because learning is at the heart of our personal development and and growth. Uh, Please tell us more if you could.
1: If you want to fulfil your potential or help other people fulfill their potential so you can feel great and get the rewards and respect you deserve, then I want to give you a free physical copy of my new best-selling book, because you deserve to know the truth. The most important things for fulfilling your potential are not tips, tricks, hacks, therapy, coaching, meditation, breathwork, goal setting, journaling, of finding your why. I know it sounds irrational because we're so used to hearing about using these things to help us fulfill our potential. But these approaches are outdated and ineffective, and they are based on a big lie.
0: To find out more and get your free physical copy of Dr. John Finn's best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, go to tougherminds.co.uk.
1: Yeah, well, the clues in the title, Learning is Your Secret Superpower. Um, the title of the chapter is Your Own Secret Superpower. It's spoiler alert. It's learning. We are designed to do it. It's pretty invisible to us. When we're born, we can't do much. <laughs> so the things that we can do today, we've had to learn to do them. And as surprising as it sounds, that includes things like smiling because when you're born, you don't know how to do that and there's very good sets of data showing that babies learn how to smile via their mirror neurons, their mirror, the people looking at them and their smile back if they've been smiled at. So I think we're conditioned to think about learning as something that we do at school maybe Uh, something that's very formal, something that's often quite difficult to do. But actually, it's happening all the time. And whatever you've learned from listening to this podcast so far is an example of the things that you're learning. Whatever's on the news today that you didn't previously know, whatever the latest gossip, gossip is, whatever's going on in the latest episode of the show you're watching, this is all learning. Learning's at the heart of what we're designed to do ultimately because fundamentally we're designed to survive and in order to do that we have to get good at controlling our environment and that means really we have to be good at problem solving so we're designed to move around and solve problems problems related to survival problems really related to controlling our environment and that means that we have to learn whether that's uh, learning how to create fire for the first time—that was quite an important landmark in uh, our species' uh, journey—or learning how to create a new COVID uh, vaccine. This is happening all the time. A bit, uh, sort of a big level. There's some quite lofty things: creating fire and COVID vaccines. But also, you know, learning today—young uh, children will be in school learning the alphabet or other people's names etc so we're learning all the time and it's our secret superpower because when we live in a world where the only constant is change in order to keep adapting to that change we have to keep learning and refining um our approaches and ultimately our habits
0: yeah when you think of learning in that way john it is a a profound readjustment certainly was for me and um it's it's um, everything you say, of course, makes complete sense when you when you think about it in that way. How, as humanity, we, we've had to learn and adapt through the ages, and I think I think that idea of fire versus the COVID vaccine is a good one because I suppose at the time they were both fairly key to um the human race uh, moving on and, and prospering. You might argue COVID uh was not such a threat, but it was certainly had a profound effect on all of us. Anyway, um it's a, it's a fascinating comparison you draw there. And in, in the book in chapter five, you, you talk about um the nature of the brain being uh why why we're able to learn and and, and it has a characteristic um that that's um well, people might 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 find the words interesting. Tell us more about that, if you would.
1: Yeah, and it, this this insight when I first came across this idea of the power of learning, which was framed via uh, the preeminent and um, late professor Anders Ericsson within his ten thousand hours of deliberate practice theory, was. How important learning can be at getting good at things when I first heard that this idea of this feature of brain function we 're going to talk about wasn't well understood we were i I, so I distinctly been remembered sitting in a class in my master's degree where the lecturer was telling us about anders Ericsson's theory, you know, and we were sort of debating whether this was re- or true or not um and in another class, we were starting to be introduced to a concept, a new concept um, called neuroplasticity. Brains are changing all the time. They're malleable, they're like plasticing, And that's what neuroplasticity means. Our brain is made up of about 100 billion neurons. So, neurons, uh, plasticity just means plastic, but not, we think of maybe plastic as sort of quite robust and. Unshapable things. Think more like plasticine type plastic that you can reshape and remold. So our brain is changing all the time by this process of neuroplasticity. New neurons are growing. So you, whatever you've remembered from the podcast so far, you're starting to develop new neurons in your brain for those ideas. You're growing, and you feel them growing in your brain. Yes. <laughs> so they're tiny and you, you know they're, they're, there's a hundred billion of them. Um, So you're not going to feel them growing, but it's real. It's happening in your brain. You move things from your short-term memory. um, So you you hold an idea in your short-term memory for about 30 seconds. You can hold five to seven bits of information in there approximately. If you don't do something with them within 30 seconds, your brain dumps them. So we uh, learn slash grow new neurons in our brain by repetition repeat to remember, remember to repeat. But when I was at school and when lots of people listened to this podcast were at school, it was, and even after I'd left school, actually, um, the top neuroscientists in the world were pretty compelled that when you stopped physically growing, your brain stopped changing in any reasonable way, in any important way. So you, essentially, when you stopped physically growing, that was it you were sort of set whatever you had at that point that, that's, all you, that's all you had what, what they might have called your talents or something like that and then the papers that I was reading um, in my masters, a lot of them were coming out of France because the French government had decided to invest in functional MRI scanners so they had a lot of uh, proprietary research using that technology that was absolutely new insight into human brain function. So I was learning about Ericsson's theories and neuroplasticity at the same time, um, and both were, you know, were, were quite new ideas. And I remember thinking, yeah, but you know, but then when you when when you go forwards and you start to really understand. How brains work, what we're designed to do, what learning really means. It makes absolute sense that we're going to get good at what we practice because practice changes our brain ultimately.
2: Yeah, you you
0: touched on something there and you said what I would describe as the T word, John, talent. Um, This this insight that we now have that uh, we can all learn our brains change because of this neuroplasticity and the, the process and I might just ask you to to talk about the the, the process of neurons being developed in the brain in a, in a moment but people will often say well I haven't got the talent for that or I wish I was talented uh, or he's he or she is talented um, and what you're saying is we all have the potential to do better and improve in any given any any given endeavor as it were
1: yeah, well, the idea that the actual origin of the word talent is ta- is a talent, which is a
2: a monetary unit. So it's like it infers you've been given something. It's a it's a it's a it's
1: a valuable asset that you've been given, and remember, I've I've done a PhD on talent talent development. Ultimately, the biggest myth in talent development is that what you're good at today predicts what you're going to be good at in the future. That is the biggest myth because that isn't the biggest predictor of what you'll be good at in the future. The biggest predictor of what you're going to be good at in the future is what you practise today and what you practise tomorrow and what you practise the day after that and what you practise the day after that and the day after that. So practice is the main effect
2: variable, the most important thing essentially in predicting outcomes. Um,
1: And I forget the question because I went off on a PhD talent rant then.
2: No, no, I was just saying, you know,
0: people do say that they say I'll never be as talented as, but you've just said, you know, what what you're saying is we can develop because we can learn, we can develop and grow.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting. So my hypothesis in my PhD work was that the main effect variable, if you take a step back from practice, is actually the ability to regulate your emotions. So it's those people that can regulate their emotions the best that are going to fulfill their potential in simple terms. So I studied some of the best 18, 19, 20-year-olds in the world of what they did. Just because they were the best in the world when they were 19, 18, 20, that did not guarantee they would even be good enough to be... Um, full-time professionals in those same sports uh, three, four, five years later It's it's interesting Um, I know that some sports teams they only recruit young people who've had adversity in their lives because they see that as a marker that they'll be able to overcome setbacks and keep persisting and be better at their emotional regulation my approach to that is that you can teach people to deliberately do that, whether they've had, you know, setbacks or not. You teach them with the skills. Um,
0: So you can learn, in fact, in a way to think more helpfully for yourself. That's what you're saying there. You can learn to think better.
1: Yeah, you can learn how to keep persisting and how to keep engaging in the sort of practice that you
2: need to engage in in order to get really good at things. But we... I think one generic thinking flaw in human beings, me included, is
1: that we're very quick to dichotomize things. For example, I'm either sort of professional standard footballer, or I'm not very good at football. Maybe that's not a great example. Either yeah, people
0: will say, I'm either, oh, I'm an absolute disaster at this, or I've really got it down.
1: I'm great at maths or I'm rubbish at maths, or I've got loads of confidence or I've got no confidence. And in fact, it's just not that's not real. There's a continuum and you're somewhere on the continuum. So, one end of the continuum is you're perfect, the other end is you're poor. And for every important thing in your life, you're somewhere on that. that, that we call it the P2 continuum. Could, um, perfect could be 100 or it could be 10, um, poor can be zero and you're somewhere on that continuum. So you give yourself a score. What the sign says, it doesn't say, for example, that everyone can be Usain Bolt. It says however quick you are at running now with the right type of practice, and this is important, it's not just any practice. It's a very specific type of practice. We call it focus practice. Erickson talks about deliberate practice where you focus hard and you make mistakes and you learn from your mistakes, that's key. But with the right type of practice you can learn to run faster with the right type of practice you can learn how to build confidence with the right type of practice you can learn how to manage stress how to sleep better how to become a better leader how to become a better team member how to become more focused and productive so but the thing to remember is that we're always practicing it's just that often it's not very deliberate we're just being conditioned by the world that we live in and increasingly, that's making it really easy for us to practice lots of really unhelpful things.
0: Yeah, well, you you, say, you said something there that's really interesting. And, and in the book, um, it, you expand on it. Um, you talked about we're always practicing. I think if you could just talk a bit more of how that could mean for people, they might be practicing feeling bad about themselves because they're seeing somebody's open inverted commas, better life, close inverted commas on Instagram
2: on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, right
2: now, many, many people are getting better at their destructive habits, beating
1: themselves up more often, procrastinating more, worrying more, getting stressed, sleeping less well, exercising less, eating more poorly. They're getting better at all those things. They are not doing it intentionally. They didn't wake up this morning and say, right, today,
2: I'm going to get better at beating myself up. They're just mindlessly practicing these things.
1: Um, Yeah, so that's the reality. We get good at what we practice. And because of the way our brains are wired in the sense of we're not very self-aware, we only have 2% consciousness at best, and often it's 0% consciousness. We're not aware of those destructive habits. So it's really easy to keep practicing them. And I see people doing this all, you know, all the time. They practice the thing that they're telling you they want to get better at and eradicate from their lives.
2: So it really is real that we are... Whatever we are practicing today, we are reinforcing
1: it neurobiologically. And the things that we used to be good at and... So the neurons that we used to have in our brain, if we don't use those networks anymore, they get pruned away, they get cut off. So, for example, when people were at primary school or elementary school, the chances are, it's a real high likelihood that you knew everybody's name in your class. I bet you don't know those names anymore. You might know some of them, but you won't know most of them. Why? Because the neurons that you used
2: were pruned, they're dead, they've died away. Now, you can relearn the names, but you forgot them because the pu- the neurons in your
1: brain died.
2: Yeah, I, I, again, when I l- discovered that insight
0: by reading the Habit Mechanic book, um, it, it was um, very important for me because I, I, I studied German a long time ago and uh, I, I realised I hadn't used my German, I hadn't spoken German, so I tried to read immediately start looking at a little bit of German every day. And you talk about being poor to perfect and on a continuum. I'm not saying I'm fluent by any means, but I I would certainly say I've retained a bit more German now by that understanding of of use it or lose it.
2: Yeah, and I think that learning is at the heart of the habit mechanic approach, which I think is unique when I look at other, let's call let's call them systems or approaches
1: that are, that are promising to help you to be your best, I don't see that's the same. I don't see it. It's not the same, and that's why they're flawed. Because this is that what we're actually trying to help people to do, and help them to build better habits. Is actually we're trying to help them to get better at learning, learning how to automate better ways of thinking and doing. So it's absolutely essential that you understand how learning happens. And I think in the habit mechanic, we go deeper on learning than I've seen anywhere else. But you know, in a real user, user friendly way, and the reason we've done that is because we've, you know, we haven't just made this up in in a couple of years. This this is over twenty years worth of work, and I've seen that when we're teaching this to people, that it's really important that they understand how learning works. Luckily for me, I, I studied motor control from the first year of my undergraduate degree, which is the science of learning. So I had really strong foundations to build on uh, in that regard. I, I taught that at university level. I wrote modules in motor control at university level. Um, so it's, it's the absolute central pillar. If we want to help people – What what the, the way that you develop your habit mechanic intelligence – is by getting better at learning, and if you understand how learning happens, and you know we got even deeper into learning in chapter twenty-six of the book. Today we're talking about chapter five, which we introduced some core learning ideas, but we got really deep in chapter twenty-six. But, but if you understand how learning happens, it makes being at your best so much easier.
0: Yeah, and uh, if we can just in a way go back slightly, then you talked about how learning happens in chapter five. Um, we're which we're talking about on this podcast, you identify this process uh, which takes place in learning of knowledge to skill to habit. Um, and that that's, uh, again, a really uh, useful, practically beneficial concept in the book. Ta- talk to us about that, if you would, John, please.
2: Yeah, so if you want, oh, often, um, well... Let's take a step back from that. We know that most of what we're thinking and doing most of the
1: time is mindless automatic behavior. In other words, thinking and doing. It's at least 98%. Often it's 100%. So if we want to help people to be happier, healthier, at their best more often, better leaders, better team members, it's about helping them to build better habits. But often when we're trying to do better, we're trying to become better
2: uh, we could try and become healthier, happier, at our best more often, etc. We're just given new knowledge. And that's where it stops.
1: And that's what I got told. I got told that if you can get people to know what they need to do to be at their best, you've cracked it, you've done your job. And we see that,
2: I use this example a lot, but I'll say it again, we see that in the UK at a national level where most people no, and many agree it's a good idea
1: to walk 10,000 steps a day and to eat five portions of fruit and veg. But most people don't do it. Because that's the thing, we don't do what we know we should do, we do what we're in the habit of doing. So, but it's a, in order to build a better habit, you need some more knowledge, first of all. So, if I want to build a better sleep habit, I need some knowledge about, well, what is sleep? How does it work? So, if you go to chapter 19 of the Habit Mechanic, there's more knowledge about why we sleep, how you can start to get better sleep. Some I think there's like 18 things you can try out, for example. But knowing that is fine. What what can I then do with that information? So how do I practically apply the information? That's what I think of as a skill. So we've created a tool called the Death Swap, the Diet Exercise uh, Sleep Swap, which is great, fantastic. But just having the knowledge and the skill isn't enough. I need a mechanism to help me to turn. Doing the desk swap, knowing how to do the desk swap to turn that into a habit. And that's why we have, for example, the habit building plan. And if you look at chapter um, 20, we have the example habit building plan for the desk swap. So we need to move from knowledge to skill to habit. Most education programs stop at knowledge.
2: Um, And that's why they're not very effective. And that's why what we do is different. Yeah. Um, you also
0: use an example of, of, of learning and developing knowledge, uh, a, a really interesting metaphor in chapter five, um, which I, I think is really helpful for people. Uh, and it relate, relates to, to this process, but uh, the, the metaphor um, is of, uh, shall we say, frozen water. Tell us more about
2: that, John. Yeah. So we think about. We talk about this idea of neuroplasticity, about the idea of
1: moving information from outside of your head to inside your head, where you store the information in neurons. So for me, the process is a bit like you're freezing these these neurons in your brain, and actually it's not just one neuron, it's a collection of neurons. So we think about freezing them as ice cubes. So we go from knowing... Where you're starting to consolidate some of the information into your brain, the skill where you're starting to practice and re- reinforce those neurobiological connections. But then, once you when you when it becomes a habit, it's like you freeze it as an ice cube in your brain. And then we connect that idea to building up igloos in different areas. So you talk about learning to speak German there are multiple ice cubes that you need to freeze in order to build a robust igloo uh, of German speaking. So imagine the the igloo is your German German language confidence profile. And then the more complete the igloo is, the more confidence you have in that area. So you're going to have to have some rudimentary, basic foundational ice cubes in there, like the ability to read, the ability to write, the ability to speak, and then I'm sure you'll have your basic German uh, grammar and verbs and all these other things that you build up over time. And that goes back to the idea of the P2 continuum. So it's not that we're either good at, great at German, or we're completely rubbish. We're somewhere in between, and the Igloo metaphor can help us to understand that um, and can help us to build confidence in what we've already got in our German learning, but it also allows us to target the next thing that we need to work on
0: yeah i think the uh the the ice cubes to, to, to igloos metaphors really really useful just a brief digression i think my german grammar igloo is certainly missing a good few ice blocks in the roof so uh more more work needed there for sure but yeah it's, it's again another helpful metaphor to help people practically apply these concepts um one thing um in another thing in the chapter that that really i found incredibly profound and and really made a massive impact on me it came out of the page like a an uppercut if you like was this idea that you can we're talking about learning we're talking about developing new skills new abilities new attributes you can learn to be happier um and i think it's great to To for people to understand that there's a really tangible way they can immediately see this in action in the Habit Mechanic University with the daily tea plan. Please explain more about that for us, John.
1: Yeah, and and it's worth saying that um, if the Igloo example got your attention, read chapter 23 of the book where it really fleshed out in the context of building up confidence. And... The, the tool that we introduce in chapter five is actually the three-to-one daily reflection, which is a way of helping us to get better at paying attention to more things that are helpful for us. So that's a really important part of being happier, is spending more of your time with your attention on things that are helpful for you, instead of only dwelling and beating yourself up. And, yeah, if you go into the... The Habit Mechanic University app, which is free, available on, uh, in the App Store and also in Google Play Store. You'll see people posting their daily tea plans, which is in Chapter 1 of the, the Habit Mechanic book, which we covered a few podcasts ago. But also you'll see people posting their 3-to-1 daily re- end-of-day reflections. So the idea of the 3-to-1 is that you write down Three, as a minimal, you can write more if you want. Three helpful or positive things that have happened to you today can be as basic as you enjoyed a really nice cup of coffee, you enjoyed the people that you work with, you got a chance to have family, uh, breakfast with your family, you may have achieved something of particular importance that day. So just writing those things down so you're making yourself pay attention to those things because that isn't our brain's natural tendency if, if if we're not feeling very happy with ourselves, and then the, the the fourth thing that you do is you write down one thing that you could do even better in um, the next 24 hours. And I, I find that one really interesting. It's all the three to one because people default to the three to one is they they complain or they dwell on something that hasn't gone well. That isn't the purpose of the th- of the one in the three to one. It's to say okay. I recognise whatever problem was, but what can I do better in the next 24 hours to give myself a better chance of being at my best? So we're being proactive. So I might say, I'm going to get 10 more minutes sleep tonight than last night. Or I'm going to create a
2: willpower story so I'm more efficient and effective with my time tomorrow. That kind of thing. So that's the three to one.
0: Yeah, and I think if... Not to labour this, but that is what you've just outlined, John, is this process of learning to to, to feel better, to be happier. You, you've made it tangible. Um, obviously, I, I perhaps rushed ahead and pointed out to this practical tool that's available on everyone's phone now, but in the chapter, you talk about it as a daily 3-to-1 reflection. It's now become the T plan. Um, that, that is the, the the method for learning to think more helpfully.
1: Yeah, it's not the T plan. The T plan is a distinctly different tool to the three. To okay,
0: three. sorry, I, I do associate the three to one reflection, yeah, but yeah um, with 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 that because of the of the um, yeah the, the listing. But but I, I guess there's an interpl- an interrelation between the two there.
1: Yeah, so I would do the T plan at the start of the day, I'd do the three to one at the end of the day. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. D- different tools. Yeah, but yeah, it, in a nutshell, knowledge to skill to habit. Yes, yeah. You've got the knowledge about the 3 to 1 now. You can go in there in, into the into the the app or you can you can get I think you can download a, a PDF um, if you look in the book of the sort of a weekly 3 to 1 template so you can practice doing your 3 to 1. Practice a skill. But in order to consolidate that, you could create a habit building plan. And I think if I'm not wrong, at the end of the stress management chapter, chapter 22, there's an example habit building plan. Uh, to create a daily 3 to 1 reflection so yeah that's it's not just um, here's, here's an interesting idea we've got to move it from knowing to skill to habit and that's the key and that's why this is different it's not a nice conversation where I might feel a bit better about myself afterwards the habit mechanic approach is all about building new habits that automate your health and your happiness and your performance Um, and at the heart of that is learning
0: yeah, and uh, yeah, if, as I say, forgive me, John. I, it was a tripartite nature of each one that was was confusing me. But I just wanted—I think it's so important for people to listen. List, for people listening to this podcast, just they can immediately try this idea out. You know, I mean, please do read the Habit Mechanic book in its entirety. Read chapter five, or listen to it for free, as you say, John, by the Habit Mechanic University. Then you can see this process of how um, you you can tangibly start to to, to use this. This attribute we all have of learning and neuroplasticity to, to start to learn to think more helpfully so it is a, it is quite an exciting possibility i think for all of us um just moving on then moving around the chapter um another thing i think is really fascinating is that even even identified 10 what you call intelligence factors that can really block learning and be problematic or can supercharge our learning and development if you could talk to us about those that'd be fantastic i think
2: yeah yeah i I feel these are really important because again we we have this idea
1: of intelligence some people are intelligent some people are not more recently the idea of multiple intelligences have, have emerged but with my scientists sat on, I always want to strip things back to their most rudimentary form, so I can understand what are the variables at play when we're trying to learn. In this case, and if we understand those variables, we can get better at making them work for us instead of against us. And I think here in the chapter I've got, which I've got in front of me, I think I give a dictionary definition of intelligence,
2: um, which. Yeah, from the Oxford uh, Dictionary. So the,
1: so the definition of intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. In other words, it's a person's ability to learn and then use what they have learned. So learning and intelligence are interconnected. So I wanted to really make this very clear to people. So, yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time Learning myself um, over the course of my three formal degrees, and I feel like I've probably done—I've done one formal PhD. I think I feel like I've done a few more informal PhDs as well along the way. Um, but I've also spent a lot, a lot of time helping others to get better at learning. And I think my well, my experience has been there. There are ten distinct things that drive learning that allow us to learn or hinder us from learning the first thing is your motivation to learn something so if we just imagine sort of a classic example
2: of well i suppose we can use a habit mechanic example couldn't we? we we could we could imagine that um that tougher minds that well we can imagine that you're coming to the the habit mechanic
1: keynote um so how much are you going to learn from the habit mechanic keynote? Well, the first factor will be how motivated you are to learn. So the habit mechanic, if you come into the habit mechanic keynote, it'll be framed that you're going to be it's going to be helping you to be happier and at your best more often. You may have no interest in doing of being happier or being at your best more often. So straight away you're not going to get much out of the process. Closely connected to that is your belief that you can. So if you don't believe you can be happier, you don't believe you can improve your performance, you're not going to be motivated to want to do it either. So those two things are interconnected. And that's why I say in the book, your motivation to learn, including your belief that you can learn. And that's why we have chapters like the chapter we're covering in the book, because we've learned that if we want to help people to be at their best, we need to help them to really understand how their brain works that they do have this fantastic superpower of learning to get better. So motivation is the first factor. The second factor is free people's diet, exercise, and sleep habits because that relates to brain function. If your brain isn't working very well, you're not going to be able to learn. And as I break down in Chapter 19 of the book, that Exercise, sleep, and diet also have huge Im- huge roles in learning. So when you sleep, that's a really important part of your learning system. If you don't put the right uh, foods into your body, it will impede learning. When you exercise, you release um, proteins, neurotransmitters that make it easier to learn. So if people turn up to a a mechanic keynote and their brain's not working very well because they've not been sleeping, eating, exercising properly their ability to learn will be hindered third is your emotional
2: state emotions drive attention and attention drives learning so if our emotions are distracting us because we're dwelling and we're beating ourselves up and
1: we're thinking about something other than the thing that's in front of us that we're trying to learn then it's going to impede our learning so again If I've just had a big argument with my boss and I come to the habit mechanic keynote, my chances of getting a lot out of it will be limited because I'll probably be distracted by the argument I just had with my boss. Four is activation levels. So I explain a fully unpacked activation in chapter 21. For me, activation is just as important as sleep, diet, and exercise. It's about mental alertness. It's about how primed your brain is for learning? Does it have the right neurotransmitters in there? Dopamine, neuroadrenaline, et cetera. So for example, um, every morning, the first thing I do is I go for a run so that when I get to my desk and uh, do my focus clever, what I call eye sculpture building work, I'm ready to go because I've got the right neurotransmitters in my brain. So if people have just done a massive lunch and full of simple carbohydrates and they're coming to the mechanic keynote, the chances are their activation level isn't going to be where it needs to be in order to um, optimise learning. And that's often why we start our training sessions, for example, with activation starters, etc., getting people moving around. But activation is key. Five is attentional styles.
2: So our attentional style is driven by our by our genes, um, because it's a lot to do with eye structure. So, in very
1: simple terms, you, th- you can think of attentional style on, on a continuum. One end, it's very broad, so you naturally see more in your peripheral vision. That's really helpful for playing field sports like soccer, rugby, hockey, netball, etc., where it's really helpful to be able to, to see space. The other end of the continuum is very narrow focus. That's really helpful for academic learning because everything's right in front of you. The, the words on, in the book, the teacher at the front of the class, the words on the screen or whatever. So your attentional style will impact um, your ability to learn something. But we can learn to manage our attentional style so we can learn how to broaden our attentional focus they do that in institutes of sport. We can learn how to narrow our attention or focus. We teach people how to do that. But it's an important factor. The next one is your memory and memory recollection. Sorry, your working memory and memory recollection capacities. So this is back to the idea of holding something. How long can you hold something in your short-term memory for? Which is sometimes called your working memory. We talk about 30 seconds five to seven bits of information we can strengthen these capacities so we know that i've seen a a rise of people being labeled with adult adhd and children uh, with adhd which is a very complex um diagnosis but one of those factors is about memory we can learn how to strengthen our, our memories via practice next one The brain friendliness and quality of the learning material. This is connected to how we encode information. So think of watching a blockbuster Hollywood movie versus reading a really boring academic textbook. One is often easier to learn from than the other. So it's going to be easier to learn something if the, if the, if the, if the training material is really brain friendly and because we know how brains work, we try to embed brain friendliness into our learning. That's why we tell a lot of stories, et cetera, but we give people practical things to do.
2: Number eight is the skill of your teacher. So let's say you want to learn to drive. You can either get lessons from someone who's just passed
1: their test or someone who's been teaching people to drive for the last 20 years. You know who's going, to give you, who's going to be the best teacher? So the skill of our teacher is really important. Um, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. So hopefully when I'm teaching people, I'm giving them a good chance of, of learning number 9 is what we call the volume and quality of your prior learning what you've already learned so in a simple example you can't learn how to do long division if you don't know how to add subtract and do
2: short division so that we have we have learning building blocks um I think it's harder to learn how to become a habit
1: mechanic if you don't understand how learning works. That's why we put this building block in nice and early. And the final one, 10, is the volume. Remember, it's not just just practice. It's the volume and quality of your current learning.
2: So there's a difference between sitting down to read a book. I mean, there's a difference between turning up
1: for a keynote and really engaging in that keynote, asking questions, taking notes, working out what you're going to do with the information. It's on a continuum. I could sit in the room and be absolutely passive and almost be not even paying any attention to what's going on. Or I could be in that room, I could be really applying myself, really engaging in the learning process. So they're the 10 intelligence factors. They are the superchargers, but also the blockers for our learning. And like most of these things, they're absolutely invisible to us. You know, why wouldn't you teach every teacher those factors? Because they're invisible. We don't really know them. I've, I've not seen these, these factors detailed like that anywhere else. We've had to, like many of the things in the mechanic approach, we've had to innovate this ourselves. We've had to create our own models and our own frameworks because they didn't exist before. But why not give that now to everyone whose who's job it is to help others to do better? And that, and why not equip every child in the country with those insights? Because that's going to then them empower them to take more control of their learning.
2: Yeah,
0: it's certainly uh, certainly hard to argue against uh, doing that, John. As you say, a uh, very very compelling argument indeed. If we can, uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Remember, we're going to talk. About uh, something that's uh, broken in the world of tech, that's uh, very interrelated to to what we're talking about, and also we'll be taking one of your questions. But just just before we move on towards that, John, just like to take you back to a couple of the the ten intelligence factors you've just taken us through in in a a really practical, interesting way. you talked about working memory and memory recollection capabilities, uh, and that can that can be how that can be improved. I'm sure people will be fascinated. I, I think, in particular, by that one. How, how can we start to improve that?
1: Can you remember what the th- what three to one tool is? Can you remember what the T stands for? Can you remember what Eight Brain means? So, by learning the habit mechanic approach, you will supercharge your working memory and memory recollection capacities. So. That's what it means, you know. There's a very common uh, saying which is, when it comes to mental performance, use it or lose it.
2: So often, when you retire or you, you know, often now,
1: people can just get into a rut in their profession. They just get into that rut of they've learned their job. They just turn up for work every day and they just do what they've always done. So they're not testing themselves, they're not practicing, etc. Um, so yeah, it's like memories a muscle, and you have to work it out in a very deliberate way. So not just not just consuming interesting and engaging, their funny cat videos on TikTok or whatever you get your social media stream for, from, but really, really testing and challenging yourself, and that that's a huge part of
2: the eudaimonic experience of um, th- that's a really important pillar of being happy. So the habit
1: mechanic approach gives you the perfect opportunity to do that. If you're going to learn about something, why not learn about yourself and how, how to do things better? So that's what I would say in relation to working memory and memory recollection capacities, take a much deeper dive into that in a chapter 26 where I really unpack these factors.
2: Yeah, okay, well that that's um
0: yeah an interesting take on it and I think use it or lose it is a great takeaway for people uh, uh as a, as I I tried to allude to earlier in in the podcast about my Uh, ongoing efforts to improve uh, my once uh, almost fluent German language. Anyway, uh, the the final one I'd like to ask you about, John, is this idea of the Hollywood blockbuster movie versus a a mundane presentation of something. I think that's going to be really useful for people, uh, maybe in the business world or in the education world, or I suppose in any field. If you want to make an impact on people, um, you want to help them learn something, think about how you present it.
1: Yes, so in... um chapter 24 of the book we share our EXPANDS learning plan so EXPANDS is an acronym and it's designed with brain friendliness in mind so we use that to create all of our training materials but we've also taught that to teachers to help them to create more engaging lessons etc um, so some of the work that we Done at golf school for example. So brains have a preference of what they like to pay attention to. For example, we know that our, our eyes
2: are much more dominant than any other sense, um,
1: because our eyes are much older. it's a, it's a really interesting study by um, which I which I've come across by the great neurobiologist uh, John Medina and there's a this experiment was testing the expertise of expert wine tasters so they got some expert wine tasters um into a
2: room and they gave them some red wine but in fact it wasn't red wine it was white wine dyed red Every
1: one of those expert wine tasters reported what a fantastic red this was and they explained all the features of this fantastic red wine. That shows you how powerful your eyes are. Um, so, again, common parlance, a picture paints a thousand words, etc. So, there are all these rules that drive our brain. We understand what they are. We've created the Expands uh, learning plan. So, you can see one example of how I use those insights in my presentations in our, in our keynotes as an example in chapter 24, which is the performing under pressure chapter.
0: Yeah, no, that's fascinating, and uh, that the, the wine tasting example, with with people being overridden, their, their good sense, if you like, being overridden by what they see, is absolutely fascinating. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that that will bring a smile to many people's faces. Well, John, thank you so much for taking us through Chapter Five. Um, I would encourage everyone to to read it in full, um, and of course, read the Habit Mechanic book in full. But yeah, um, an amazing, profound um look at uh, the way we the way we work and and this this idea of learning as a as a really transformational concept for all of us so thank you very much for that john um I'd just like to move away now from the habit mechanic book to uh, talk about something um, that we've been hearing about in the news recently, um, specifically in the world of tech, which is becoming uh, the news for all of us—the main news—and um, that's um, a story about. Uh, let, let me get this right, if I can. The Open AI Chat GPT. It's a, it's a chat bot, uh, which I think most people will start to recognise is is your computer or your device talking to you in an intelligent way. Artificial intelligence, of course, is is the key to this. Um, and there's been some controversy, there's been some coverage. What's your, what's your take on this story, John?
1: Yeah, I think overarchingly, it's showing well, it's, it's a big important step in unleashing the power of artificial intelligence, um, or artificial intelligence that is more human like, you know, because some would say that, well, some would say it's real. You've got artificial intelligence all over your house already, like your washing machine, you know, that's an artificially intelligent uh, mechanism, but this is more, this is like human-like artificial intelligence. It it sort of mimics what a human could do. Um, I think it's really exciting. I think it's going to have a huge impact on how we work, especially when it starts to get embedded into the Microsoft um, Word, Excel, PowerPoint tools. For me, so, so the way that, in chapter 25 of the book, where we talk about focus and productivity and getting more work-life balance, we, we have a few models that we introduce. One is about uh, brain states. So the fact that our brain's a bit like a battery and it operates in three broad states. One is recharge, one is medium-charge, one is high-charge. The sort of work that artificial intelligence is doing is medium-charge work. And in medium-charge work, this connects to another model, we, we do our, what we call our ice cube freezing work. So we separate the sort of work that we do in the habit mechanic approach. We separate the, the, the everyday jobs that we do into two categories. One is freezing ice cubes, which is busy, habitual-type work. The other is building ice sculptures, which is focused, clever, problem-solving work. We can use our medium-charge brain state to freeze the ice cubes. And what I see that this the tools like uh, chat GPT doing, it's helping us to do some of the ice cube freezing work but what it isn't doing is the ice sculpture building work. In order to do that we need to use our high charge brain. But the, the way I think of the of chat GP the, the big interesting point is that you can ask it a question. So and it gives you a quite sophisticated answer. So most people are familiar with search engines, things like Google, and they understand the idea that you type something. We used to have something called Ask Jeeves, but now it's uh, Google. So you type into Google a question, and it spits out loads of web pages, and sometimes it gives you a few more sophisticated answers now. Chat GPT is almost a step up from that. You ask it a question and it gives you a human-like response, not a list of websites. it actually tells you the answer in a structured, coherent way. Um, sometimes it's not so coherent, but the average is it gives you something that's quite coherent. But all it's doing is it's a bit like if when someone asks you a question as a human being, someone asks me what what, does, what do you mean by a habit mechanic So in a highly complex process that we don't fully understand is that I somehow go back into my brain and I activate the neural networks connected to what I understand about the habit mechanic approach, and then I verbalize that and I tell you the answer. That's all GPT is doing, but its brain is the internet or the database that it's plugged into. So it's only as good as the internet or the database. It's not as sophisticated as a human brain, nowhere near. Um, but it's the first big step in that direction.
2: So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's really exciting. I don't think it's something to be scared of, But ultimately, if you don't want tools like chat, GPT to take your job, it's more important than ever that
1: you become a habit mechanic and you start to get better at building those ice sculptures every day so that you are future-proofing your skills against technology.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating that you, as a as a brain expert, if you like, John, uh, in that in that very uh, succinct way of putting it, uh, gives that analysis of, of this interesting development, which people may see as as threatening um, and, and and very potentially dangerous, I guess for their for their jobs and livelihood. But uh, using the ice cube analogy, um, it's great that you've set it in that context. Just interestingly, a very quick one. I notice, um, perhaps a bit whimsically, uh, people have been asking um, the. Chat GPT to write poetry and write songs and to test its humanness, if you like. And I think um, uh, the singer Nick Cave, who's probably quite a laconic, opinionated character from what I can gather, said that uh, its efforts at songwriting were a grotesque mockery of what it is to be human. And I'm quoting him. So um perhaps he's agreeing with you then that it's got certain capabilities, but but not all of them. Although maybe songwriting uh, it, ties in with what you said about the, the dipping into your database
1: yeah well there's more to a great song than it being a great song isn't there you've got to get people to listen to it and talk about it and uh you know marketing and sales is, is key to any successful tune but yeah for me the key thing is if we want to future-proof ourselves and if we want to be happier and have more meaningful lives the willpower story tool in chapter 25 is really powerful i use that every day um, and it's going to make it easier for you to actually recognize where you can use tools like chat, chat GPT to help you out. But also, it's going to help you to build the sort of habits that you need to consistently build up those ice sculptures every day. You know, and I, so I, I had some what are the practical uses of things like chat GPT. I heard one company saying you know, they employ a full-time person that writes content for their website, for SEO, for search engine optimization. They said that person used to be able to write one blog per day. Now using chat GPT, they can write three, three blogs per day because they're getting chat GPT in my language and have a mechanic language to do more of the ice cube freezing work and they're freeing up um, the person to do more of the ice sculpture building work.
0: Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And uh, perhaps you've uh, identified the formula for, for humanity's uh, cooperative working with these uh, very, very rapidly emerging technologies. So that that's a, a great benefit and equally fascinating as well. Uh, well, before we, we conclude the podcast today, John, um, we take questions from you. Please do submit your questions to us. Um, You can do that via social media, Twitter or Instagram So search for Tougher Minds or LinkedIn as well, of course, uh, or via the website, tougherminds.co.uk. Just send us a question via the contact section of the website there um, and uh, we will certainly have a look at those and try to answer some of them on this podcast. Um, And we've got a question here today, John, which I think uh, connects with this idea of learning and and how um, people can can start working to improve this is this is from Trina um, and she asks um, so much of what my team does in creating their own habits is done outside of work at their in their own homes so she asks how can my efforts to improve everyone's habits or encourage improved habits possibly compete with what people do when they leave the workplace
1: yeah it's a great question and I think it shows why learning is at the heart of everything that we're Doing for better or for worse. So essentially, if I can help people to learn some helpful things in my work environment, how do I stop them unlearning that stuff when they leave the environment? And I think that points towards the complexities of the world that we live in, and how challenging it is to be at our best. Uh, As a throw ahead to the next podcast that we we're going to do is about chapter six, which focuses on the learning war, which means that uh, we're always learning, we understand that, but big corporates are getting really good at getting us to learn the things and habitualize the things that they want us to be spending our time doing and thinking, like consuming more content on social media, or consuming more from our streaming services, or practising and habitualizing the wrong types of food, etc. So the question really shows how complex it is to change behavior but why i think that the only way to actually help people to be at their best and for us the individual to be at our best the only way to do that is to become a habit mechanic because we have to empower the individuals to proactively be working and managing themselves you know and it's that that question also I don't think it's meant in this context, but it's also very um, familiar to the hybrid workplace context that we're seeing. And like, we've done a lot of work in, in that space and continue to do so with our clients. And I think, for example, that you can sort of sum up the challenges of, of the hybrid, of hybrid work in, into three
2: interconnected areas. One, hybrid work makes teamwork harder because when
1: you physically get together as a team, it's easier to communicate and collaborate because we have a technology in our brain called mirror neurons. The heart of teamwork is communication and collaboration, which allows us to solve problems together. So teamwork's harder. The second thing is that leadership's harder. Many leaders, for example, have been promoted to their positions because they're really good at getting into a room with people and bringing energy and influence that way. Obviously, when you don't see your people every day, it's much harder to lead and influence their behavior. And the third factor then that leads on from those two and and is connected is that it means that we're now more dependent on people managing their own behavior. And that means we need to give them the toolkit to be able to do that. In other words, we need to help them to become habit mechanics. Because we're unplugging people from the work the the work culture that they used to turn up for every day. And now they're in this hybrid state where they've
2: got their home culture and the benefits and sometimes negatives that can bring. Um that's
1: influenced in their behaviour every single day. So yeah, it's complex and that's why We've got to empower people to become habit mechanics, but we've also got to use the nine action factor um, system. You know, that's a lot of the work that I do is I'm helping senior leaders to use that nine action factor system within their teams, within their organizations so that they can make it as easy as possible for their people to build the habits, whether they're working at home in the office and or both to to consistently build long lasting habits. And what I see time and again is that when you get those nine action factors right, you can improve people's happiness and performance by at least 25% quite quickly in months, um, which essentially means they spend more of their day doing focused, clever, creative problem solving work, the sort of work that we need humans in our organizations to do. We don't need them to be doing busy, ice cube freezing work or we don't need to, them to do as anywhere near as much as that as they used to do because we can automate more of that work now and free them up to do more of their of their uh ice sculpture building work so yeah it's a great question and i hope that sheds some in times
2: Yeah, I think
0: it does, John. And thank you very much for that. And and Trina, thanks very much for the question. As I say, do please keep your questions coming in uh, via social media or contact us via tougherminds.co.uk by the contact section there on the site. And we'll do our very best to uh, get through some of your questions on this podcast. Well, John, thanks so much for your time once again. Um, Absolutely uh, transformative for me, Chapter 5, when I first read it. And thank you for talking about talking about it in such great detail and taking a deep dive into it, learning um, the science of learning and how we can all get better and improve by using that understanding and applying it. Thanks so much again, John. Anything you'd like to say in closing before we draw this podcast to a close?
1: Yeah, well, one, I, I agree. For me, chapter five is, is profound as well. And I was listening back to that over the weekend. It's so important. That, that's why it's at the front of the book. Because learning is at the heart of being healthier, happier, and at your best more often, the whole point of the habit mechanic approach is that you learn how to become a habit mechanic by developing your habit mechanic intelligence, um, and that once you can do that, you can help others to learn how to become habit mechanics. So yeah, it 's a really fantastic uh, chapter, and as I said, you can go, you can go deeper in chapter 26 on the learning piece. But I'd just like to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you for everyone who's in the app and showing up regularly and, and supporting every, everyone else and also, you know, being prepared to share what's going on in your life because that's really helpful for other people to see how this is playing out in real time for others. And I know that being your best, being our best is more difficult than ever But remember, you're only ever one habit away.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our Habit Mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn a hundred thousand a year working part time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just thirteen hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a certified Habit Mechanic coach who can transform people's lives and is recognised as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Thanks again for listening.